Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Key to be successful as a leader in a scaling company is you got to learn at least as fast as the company changes, if not faster. I used to run product and I used to run recruiting and I used to lead marketing. And my approach to scaling was letting go of all sorts of different parts of the business, even ones that I loved. Learning how to let go of things that, that you love doing is so important in order to be successful when you're growing and scaling a company fast. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I am Edwin Frondozo. Hi, how are you doing? How's your day going so far? First off, I want to thank you for spending some time to join me today. This is episode number 59, and I'm really excited to share the conversation I had with Michael Katchen. He is the CEO of Wealthsimple, a global digital investment service with operations in Canada, the US, and the UK. In our conversation, we talk about the valuable lessons he learned during the tech bubble in the 90s, how to be a successful leader when growing and scaling a company, and the biggest takeaways from growing and expanding in other countries. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash Pungo to learn more, and also the Change Leadership Conference an event that helps prepare leaders, change practitioners, and organizations to lead change in the face of AI and robotics. Join me to hear from renowned AI innovation and leadership experts and leading industry panelists in Toronto on May 30th, 2018. Before getting started, thank you to all who have left me comments. Really appreciate your time. This one is from Reed Bracken on iTunes. As a self-proclaimed podcast junkie, I find Edwin's take on business from a Canadian perspective to be a great addition to my weekly rundown. Thank you, Reed. Really appreciate that. And if you do decide to leave a review, I will be reading out the latest one on each episode. Now, here we go. Mike, thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. But Mike, before we jump in, if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know about you or your company, tell them, tell us a little bit something about who you are, what you like to do when you're not growing and scaling companies. So, um, you know, I'm a born and raised Torontonian, spent a little bit of time in California working on another startup before moving back to found Wealthsimple. And outside of work, I'm a new father. Eight weeks ago, had our first child. Congrats. Thank you very much. Uh, so, you know biggest startup I've ever worked on in my life uh, and having fun with that. I could totally relate. My daughter now is 22 months old. So I'm sure off off the record, we could probably talk a lot. And eight weeks is, is fairly new. Are you, are you, how's your adjustment, you know, coming back to work right away? Did you, did you take any time off? I took time off and I think it's important. I took two weeks off full time and then another half, um, another two weeks part time off. Yes. And, yeah. um, it was special. It was really special to spend some time at home with the family. I've been trying to come in later to the office, get home earlier, and, and really be around. And 
Uh, it's amazing. We've it's been a- lucky. Our daughter's been super easy. Uh, so everybody asks, you know, the first question, are you sleeping at night? Yes. But, uh, we've been pretty lucky. She's a good sleeper. No, that's amazing. Well, congrats. And uh, I have a daughter. I love it. And everything changes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially sure. having a daughter. So, uh, so why don't we just get into, well, simple. Tell us a little bit about the company. Tell us your current role and what you're trying to accomplish over the next 12 months. Yeah, you know, we're a unique sort of business um, because we've been fortunate to grow really fast, but we're still really new. So the business is three and a half years old. Uh, Our purpose is to help people save and invest to live their best lives. Um, So we help them invest their savings so that they achieve their long-term goals. And today we manage over $2 billion for 70,000 clients in Canada, the US and the UK. Um, Where we're going is, you know, uh, just keep on adding more value to clients and helping them achieve their financial goals. You know, today we launched our first product outside of the investment landscape. So we launched the savings account, um, which we're really excited about. We think it's, you know, when you think about our mission, which is all about how to enable people to achieve financial autonomy, which we think is one of the greatest forms of dignity that you can offer another human being. Um, Savings and investments are really the first pillar of that. And so it's exciting that now we kind of tackle that 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 spectrum of uh, of offerings and what we're doing. Something I read about you and something I might have known from being within the technology startup community, you were really invested, not invested, but you had some passions in, in investment at a young age, right? And yeah, so, I got lucky. So this is more like pairing of your passions, right? And, and is this where it started from? Yeah, you know, this is, uh, I love our business because uh, it, it was started organically and for the reason of trying to help some friends. So I, I love investing. I've been doing it forever since I was 12 years old when uh, my sister randomly entered me into a stock picking contest. <laughs> and, um, you know, I ended up winning the contest and it came with a free trip to Whistler for, you know, a week. I took my dad skiing. I thought it was the coolest 12 year old round. And, um, started investing after that, started learning about it, started, you know, getting really excited about what it meant to be an investor, uh, learned a very valuable lesson um, at 12 when all my savings at the time evaporated in the tech bubble bursting in 1999. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and, you know, taught me a lot about what thoughtful, smart, long-term investing is all about. So fast forward several years when I was working in California uh, on another startup, we sold that business and the team I was working with made some proceeds off the deal that they were looking to invest. So knowing that I love to do it, they all asked me for help. And it was just through the process of trying to help them manage their money, get set up with th- you know smart, thoughtful portfolios that it was clear there was a need for someone to just make it simple, do it for them, and do it at a really low cost. So that's kind of where the business got started. So when I looked at your career, Mike, I mean, you just mentioned it. You started in learning financial planning, financial services when you're a young age, but you... Even from university and your college early career, you always had some type of leadership role or projects that you worked on. I know I think it was a company at Blacks. You were working in the CEO office on special projects. And then in the Valley, you were working at Ancestry.com. But I think it was called something before, but you were a, you were a VP role. So with that in mind and those experiences, can you share with us maybe some hard decisions that helped you grow as a business leader or, or really, you know, you look back and said, you know, those are real key turning points in my career. 
Yeah, I'd be happy to share a couple that feel like, you know, at the time felt like mistakes or really tough decisions that in hindsight have been the best decisions I've ever made. So, you know, when I was in third year of undergrad, um, I was studying business at the Ivy Business School and nearly dropped out to start a company. Um, I'd won a business competition the year before. Um, and uh, a friend and I were talking about, you know, starting that business together. Thank God we didn't because it's one of those concepts that just, you know, this is before smartphones. It just couldn't exist today if smartphones were around back then. So um, anyways, uh, I didn't go through the recruiting process, uh, you know, really full, full heartedly. And um, just before uh, taking the leap to start that business, I got a random opportunity to join the new CEO at Blacks, which at the time was an iconic Canadian company, unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, That's right. um, to help work on the turnaround program. And he was an ex-consultant who convinced me that, you know, if you want to start a business, that's great, but go build some foundational skills, come work with me, I'll mentor you uh, for the summer. And, um, you know, it'll be a great, at least building block towards your ultimate ambition to start a company. So I ended up working with him and it was a transformative sort of experience for me. He taught me so much about problem solving, about what really smart colleagues look like and uh, was the inspiration of why I decided instead to park my um, startup dreams and instead pursue a career in consulting, at least to start start my career. I mean, it's really interesting, and, and you probably see this a lot from working in the Valley, and maybe even a lot now in the Toronto scene. There's a lot of people leaving college, leaving university, and trying to do a startup. What do you tell people when they come to you and say, hey, listen, I have this great idea. Um, should I should I just start this business or should I should I get a job? I don't have a good answer. Is the is the <laughs> you know terrible truth? I think either path is right. And and that same mentor of mine gave me a really helpful way to think about that framework. And and maybe I'll tell this through a story. So yeah, I worked in consulting for a couple of years and um, then again wanted to start a business. So remember, this is a theme you'll you'll hear from me. So I worked at a company called McKinsey for two years and was uh, two years in decided to leave to start a business and was working with a friend of mine on all sorts of concepts and ideas. Uh, we were really excited about uh, starting something together. And then two weeks before my last day at McKinsey, uh, he got cold feet and pulled out. Wow. And I didn't feel like I had the confidence or conviction to start something on my own just yet. So I convinced myself that um, I should get another job to prepare myself for startups. And, uh, decided that the best job for me would be in private equity. But unlike everybody else that goes into private equity, my only purpose would be to get to know the CEOs who were company builders. And I try to learn from them what it was like to build and, and lead companies. Uh, and I convinced myself this was, would be a good idea. <laughs> um, ultimately got an offer and an opportunity, signed an offer to join a private equity company. When um, a few of my earliest friends from McKinsey reached out, uh, they had moved down to California a year earlier uh, with a company called A Thousand Memories. Uh, they gotten into Y Combinator, which at the time nobody had heard of, but has since become, you know, such an incredible uh, preeminent startup accelerator around the world and invited me to come join. They said, Mike, unsolicited offer. Uh, if you want to help build this company, we just got into this thing called YC. Yeah. You know, come help us grow this this business. And I knew exactly that that's what I should be doing. But I had this unbelievable fear in my gut that, I just signed an offer to join a firm and you, you don't renege on offers. Right, of course. And I thought that if I did renege, you know, I would be blackballing myself from ever working in the Toronto community. Um, but if I didn't, you know, I'd miss out on 
pursuing this entrepreneurial path that I'd always dreamt of. So I called up the CEO at Blacks and my mentor who gave me an incredible way to think about the problem. He said, you know, in life, there are two types of decisions. There are gray decisions and there are black and white decisions. With black and white decisions, there's a right and there's a wrong answer. You better do your homework and figure out the right answer, right? With gray decisions, no matter how much analysis you put into it, you will never come up with a right or a wrong answer. So you've got to like dig down into your gut and figure out what it's telling you and just make the decision, jump in with both feet, and whatever you choose, you'll make it right. Right, right. So for me, it was a clear decision that my gut was telling me I had to move to California. Yeah, I had to do this. Yeah. And um, did you, was it a long time for you to make that decision, or did you actually have a time frame to, to make I that? I think I had three days. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had three days, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, the firm, the private equity firm, was disappointed, of but course. you know, understood, understood this idea that this was ultimately so aligned with my goals and ambitions and and passion. And um, so, how, how did you? Renege it? Did you just do a phone call? Like, how, how no, did- I think you know. If you unfortunately find yourself in that situation, I don't recommend it. Right? Yes. Um, you, you do right by the people, and you go. I sat down with them, and I explained the case, which was, mm-hmm. you know, everything in my body is telling me that I need to be a, an entrepreneur, and um, moving to California to join a company I believe in um, is just, you know. I can't pass that up. And so, uh, unfortunately, you know, that's the decision I'm going to make. And, and they were so understanding and, and incredible about it. And all those fears I had about being labeled and blackballed, you know, never came to pass. Of course. So. And I'm sure in their point of view, you coming, taking the high road, and it, it shows a lot of respect for them as well and for yourself. So it, it, it's an example. Of, and maybe that's the way you've been building your business and your reputation as well. So that's amazing. Well, I think that for me, what I learned in that process was um, you build up these stories in your mind of the way people will perceive you or the decisions you make. And it's much better to just be honest and transparent. You know, so being honest and transparent led to a great outcome in that scenario. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it actually is a very hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. But um, ultimately, I think it's the right way to, uh, to approach decisions like that. So I want to take back to to where we are now. I mean, Wealth Simple's three and a half years old, four years almost. Yeah, three yeah. and a half years in market. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing ride. And I've been you know watching it from the outside in, and it's been growing. It's scaling. You've grown your team significantly, and your role as the founder, as the CEO, changed throughout the years. You're your team changed. Your responsibilities changed. So with that in mind, how are you continually to grow? as a business leader and change and adjust with your, with your day-to-day changes? I think the key, you know, and someone gave me this advice really early on, which was um, the key to be successful as a leader in a scaling company is you got to learn at least as fast as the company changes, if not faster. And so that's been my approach has been, you know, I used to run product and I used to run recruiting and I used to lead marketing right. and, I do none of those things anymore. And the key for me was figuring out how to bring in people that were way smarter, way more capable in those roles and uh, giving them all of the support in the world to do the very best work of their lives. And so, you know, to me, that's really been my approach to scaling was letting go of all sorts of different parts of the business, even ones that I loved, you know, to play a role in and, um, and finding people that are way better equipped to actually lead those, those areas. Yeah. So what, what was personally for someone who was, I guess, loves learning these different roles and maybe you get really attached to specific jobs or, or, or a project. What were the challenges of letting go for yourself? 
think it's hard um, when you're building a company, you care so much about everything. And um, so it's hard to cede control of decisions. And uh, and also, you know, it's fun when you're small and everybody's kind of fighting for things to have those kind of those wins. You know, everybody on the team gets wins every so often. As you grow your business, you have to change your mindset to wanting personal wins. Like, hey, I launched this feature and people love it. Right, that feels right. really good as a product manager, right? To um, someone, a, a product leader on a team launched this feature and I feel really great for them. There's a, you know, I think one of the coolest parts about scaling um, now at the, the stage that we're at is the, the proudest moments I have as a business is when we do something that's a huge success and I've had nothing to do with it. And to me, I think that's been a good gauge of, you know, have we been bringing in the right people? So have I been learning in to bring in the right people and also learning to give them the support to do great work? So I think that's, that's been really interesting. So what do you think? When I was speaking to Mike, I, I really found him to be very knowledgeable, driven, and yet very humble as, as he's still learning and growing. Is there anything that Mike has mentioned that is that is resonating with you? If you are enjoying this episode, please sign up to our monthly newsletter where we share our latest interviews, events, and upcoming guests. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash newsletter. Let's get back to it. I know in terms, I don't know if my numbers are correct, but your organization, you've surpassed 150 employees now. I think you're in a number of countries at this point in offices but as as the company scales how are you as as the business leader as a ceo ensuring that the culture is staying intact from how you you operated like even three years ago or two years ago so i think that's um a false perception of what startups should do Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's a function of like, we are a, a young company that has had to grow really quickly because a lot of companies, you know, have years to solidify their culture. You know, there's a core group of people that work away for years and then you, then you scale and expand and it's easier to maintain your culture as you grow. And you often hear that advice, you know, how do you right. maintain your culture as you grow? Mm-hmm. I, I just think that that's false. And our experience has been that, you know, our culture is different and we're 165 people in three, you know, Toronto, New York, and London now. It's a different culture than when we were five people in a small office in, you know, downtown Toronto. And so for, for us, instead of trying to maintain the culture, what we've tried to do is make sure that as the culture evolves, it's evolving in the right way. It's a positive evolution rather than a negative or a destructive evolution, right? And, and for us, the guideposts that have really helped that have been values. And defining values really early um, and living them, you know, not making them posters on the wall, but iterating on them in the same way you would iterate on a product. If they're not working, if they're not useful ways for managing the business, then fix them and get, you know, try something new. And for us, we have five core values. We use them for hiring. We use them for firing. We use them for promotions. We celebrate them every week when people live up to them. And I think that's been a really core part of how we make sure the guideposts around culture are evolving in the right way so that, you know, when people come here, they're, measured against that. So there's at least some consistent framework. Um, and also they, um, you know, we're able to maintain that people know what the expectation is in terms of the way they behave at, at the company, if that makes sense. No, it makes hundred, it's crystal clear in terms of in that. And I love that 
how you're talking about it, it's it's an evolving thing, a culture. It's like it's like a it's like a child. They're going to be growing. So in the short years of of the culture, what values have changed, or was there values that you added and maybe it didn't make sense anymore? Is that I guess it's an ongoing thing, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. What what was the last one that uh, may have changed or rejigged recently? We um. You know, it's funny. It's no longer one of our five core values, but is still a concept that we embrace and talk about a lot. So we used to have this value, which was called uh, we are maker owners. And it was a term that we coined, um, which was all about we want to build a maker culture, not a manager culture. Mm -hmm. And so we are makers. We're all builders. We're all owners of the company. Everybody here has an ownership mindset and ownership in the company. So they're expected to act that way. and people love that. It's, you know, this idea of don't walk past problems, come up with solutions. Anybody in the company can be an engineer, regardless of if your code stack is Ruby on Rails or Excel or PowerPoint, whatever it is you use, be a builder, right? But what we found was, um, you know, in, uh, in kind of our weekly kudos when we would, uh, you know, celebrate someone for living one of our values, it became kind of a catch-all category. It was kind of defining of the way we love to behave, but it kind of had lost a little bit of the specificity around its meaning. And so we got rid of it. Um, so it wouldn't be a catch all category anymore, but it's, it's actually stuck. And we're now thinking about bringing it back because I think people miss it. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been interesting to see that. One thing that I was really curious about, Mike, and you quickly mentioned it earlier, but so wealth simple is now in not only Canada, us, and also the UK, and as a young company, I mean, just growing and scaling is already difficult, but also growing to different regions um, like U.S. And, and specifically overseas like U.K., I'd love for you to give the listeners perhaps maybe not a play-by-play of what you're learning in terms of scaling to other countries, but uh, maybe some learnings or even something you would do differently at this point. I think... Um you know, for us, it's been really interesting. So we've been live in the U.S. for a year and the U.K. for about six months now. And, you know, we s- struggle with a few um, challenges. So for sure, distance and different teams and different offices. Also, uh, regulation. So we are an enormously regulated entity. And now we, you know, report to several regulators in different jurisdictions, which all have different views of what the rules and frameworks are. So that's an entirely, if you can avoid that part, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, for us, the key to getting this right has been around finding really strong leaders um, and on the culture point of how to and at least ensure that there's some consistency, uh, having people that are embedded in the culture uh, be part of launching new geographies. So when we launched the UK as an example, we hired a really strong local leader, an entrepreneur who had built fintech companies in Europe before that could lead that effort. Um, but we paired him with one of our amazing client success uh, leaders from here in Toronto, who'd been with the company for a while, was kind of steeped in the well simple way of doing things, the well simple way of working with clients and customer service and pairing them together and actually make, enabling her to move to London um, originally for six months, she's now actually made it permanent. Oh, wow. Has become, you know, one of the keys to getting it right. So that you maintain that even as they develop their own strong local culture, there's consistency and ties and someone that can represent that, you know, on the ground. We think that's really important. Anything else as you look to scale or grow those offices now in terms of, in, in terms of your focus? 
Yeah, for us, I think, you know, um, one of the one of the important things in difficult things is how to set yourself up for remote offices. Um, you know, I think London, for instance, feels a little unloved sometimes because of the distance and uh-huh. not by intention, but, you know, it's, it's a combination of the time zone, it's distance, the fact that the Canadian business today is just so much bigger because it's been around so much longer that you'd have to take an extra step. You have to make an extra effort to ensure that remote offices that are trying to get something off the ground that aren't in the day to day, you know, hustle and excitement and grind of kind of the mothership, Mm -hmm. um, still feel loved and still feel connected and engaged. So finding ways to do that for me, you know, what we do is I I travel there a lot. Uh, So ensuring that there's a lot of time that I spend with the team, ensuring our, you know, they're aware of the focus and commitment we have to that uh, geography and that opportunity that we're pursuing. We bring them over a lot. We have a once a year company wide uh, um, offsite where we bring everybody from all our offices together to ensure that there's good, you know, team building camaraderie. That's cool. I think those sorts yeah. of investments are really important, especially when, you know, you've got these small satellite offices that it's really easy for them to feel disengaged and disconnected. So no. you got to make an effort. No, that's definitely true. And, and I guess for them, are you starting to see that maybe their culture is a bit different now? I mean, it's six, six months in UK now. I'm not sure how big the team is out there, but are they building their own subset culture, I guess? Yeah, and and I you know I'm happy about that. Yeah. I think um, you know every office should have its own local vibe to it uh, that makes their work style effective and makes them do their best work. Uh, so long as it's consistent with the values and the kind of broader personality of the company, uh, and we're starting to see that emerge for sure. Just want to change gears a bit, Mike, and really get. Some insight. Um, if you could name a person who had tremendous impact on you as a leader today. I mean, there are lots. Um, I think in terms of like inspiration, I'll say the cliche answer that Elon Musk is a, you know, um, entrepreneur who really pushed the boundary on, you know, what's possible. I'm constantly inspired by. Mm-hmm. Love the fact that he's got a little bit of Canada in his background. Yes. Um, you know, for me, a big a big theme that um, I care about deeply is building a global company from Canada, building a global champion from Canada. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if all the listeners here are Canadian, but uh, as a as a proud Canadian, it's a theme I care I care very deeply about. Um, and so I love to see that um, you know Canadian entrepreneurs building something um, awesome on the global scale. And are there any Canadian entrepreneurs that you've looked towards for that guidance as well? Because they're not that many global powerhouses. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, um, what I would call the older guard that did this, um, which would be like the Jim Balsillies and the Lazaridises of the world. And, you know, um, sadly, you know, the Blackberry story is, is not one that's that, you know, um, it didn't go in the direction we'd all hope, which was it was still this global powerhouse that, that pushed the industry forward. Um, but what they did in their day was amazing. And the lasting impact that had on the Waterloo ecosystem is, is unbelievable. You know, at the, at, in its day, BlackBerry was the most exciting company in the world to work for. How is that for like inspiration? Why don't we build more of those sorts of companies here? I think like we're, we're, I, I'm inspired by what we're seeing in the community now with what, you know, Toby's building at Shopify and seeing the, the success of their you know, public offering, I think is just another great validator of, of this ecosystem in Canada and what we're trying to build. And people are 
staying in Canada now. And it seems to me, and, and especially for the listeners who are not in Canada, there's a lot of Canadian pride now and really, really trying to stay like yourself with Wealth Simple and saying to build that Canadian global powerhouse. So that's really refreshing and, and really excited, you know, in the ground here in Toronto and in, within Canada as well. I'm every leader and I'm sure like yourself, and I know um, we talked about some books, but what are you currently reading right now? Well, I just finished um, Alibaba with a Jack Ma story, which I thought is a fantastic read. Um, any 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 key takeaways, or what was the biggest thing that that? Well, the story I love about it is, um, you know, it tells it so well. The eBay trying to enter the Chinese market and having a little bit of the classic kind of American ego around it, and you know, winning in the early days, and then Alibaba, this upstart that really didn't have much going for it at the time, figuring out how to win the local market by being a local company and, you know, beating the Americans at their game. And, and I, uh, I love that story of by understanding their market and understanding their customers, uh, they were able to win. And I think it's such a cool story and there's so much to learn from that. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, that's been on my list to read as well. And uh, we'll definitely share it to the listeners out there. We'll put a link on, on that book. But thank you for sharing that, that key insight on that. Fun question, Mike, that I that I love to ask on the podcast. Uh, if I were to ask any of your your current team members, colleagues, or even you know past or present, what's the best leadership quality you have? What do you think they would say? I would hope what they would say is something that I um, I try to represent and I uh, value very much in other people, which is a mix of confidence and humility. I think that um, you often have people, especially leaders, err on the side of confidence um, and lose a little bit of the humility. And I think the best leaders are ones that have a perspective and conviction. So they show confidence in a vision and a path and they lay that out for their teams. But the humility to listen and be open-minded and to learn from others. And I think that that um, I would hope, uh, you know, if I had an aspiration for how I was perceived, it would definitely be that. Mike, what else? What else? What else is going on? Is there? An, I know you mentioned the new launch recently, so I'm happy you're able to announce that on here. But is there any other special projects, initiatives that you're looking towards or really excited about? Lots. I think you know. I mentioned that our mission is all around uh, financial financial autonomy and helping people achieve financial autonomy, and I think that we will see more people achieve financial autonomy in the next 10 years than ever before in history. And I think that financial services are going to transform um, over the coming 10 years because of, you know, new ways of thinking about it, new means of delivering it through technology. And I'm, uh, I'm so excited about kind of what's on the horizon. I think for us at well, simple, like smart, say, you know, smart saving, smart investing is kind of the first pillar, but, our clients have lots of other financial needs, For sure. uh, you know, whether that be credit products or insurance. And I, I think when I think about the future, um, we'll hope to be something, uh, a firm that helps solve all of the, the needs that our clients have, either ourselves or through partners. And so we're really excited about that roadmap in front of us. Mike, before we end, any final thoughts, observations? Ideally, what we're looking for, some actionable recommendations that you could share, perhaps to the listeners out there who are growing fast scaling business or even thinking about taking that job or <laughs> or jumping ship to uh to california at this point yeah 
I would say, you know, listen to your gut. Know if it's a gray or a black and white decision. I've always found that framework a really helpful one, especially for those big career decisions. Um, I would say in career decisions, make decisions for the right reasons, um, you know. And, uh, you know, if you are building a scaling company, um, focus on the people. You know, it's cliche because everybody says it, but um, the sooner you learn it and implement it, the better you will be. Find people smarter than you inspire them to come work with you. And, uh, you know, that's the recipe that I think everybody needs to understand to build really successful companies. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mike, to close, please tell us where you can find more information about you, Wealthsimple, or anything else you'd like to share to our listeners today. Yeah, Wealthsimple.com. We'd love to work with you. Always open to feedback. So if you decide to try us out and have anything you'd love to share, you can reach me, uh, mcatchin on Twitter, and love to hear from you. Awesome. Mike, thank you again for your time and joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode number 59 with Michael Katchen. If you want to learn more about Mike, Wealthsimple, or anything that we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 059. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash pungle to learn more. And also the Change Leadership Conference. It's an event that helps prepare leaders, change practitioners, and organizations to lead change in face of AI and robotics. Join me to hear from renowned AI innovation and leadership experts and leading industry panelists in Toronto on May 30th, 2018. And if you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.